Amazingly, the World Economic Forum's big prediction for 2030 about famine and food supply shortages and energy supply problems, they're all coming to fruition. And they seem to be getting a nice little manufactured nudge. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. It's the Adrian Slade Podcast. The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. You know, for over seven decades, 70 years, at least starting back in the 1960s when the communist decided to push the sexual revolution through the college campuses. And that's where we ended up with Woodstock and the sexual revolution. And, you know, right around the time that Mao's cultural revolution was fizzling out. Um, 70 years ago, that's about when we uh, were inundated with the constant barrage of bleak end of humanity warnings. You know, they were all said to be imminent, all quickly on the rise. Get ready, it's coming. We've heard the clarion call for all of us to stand and reverse this trend, the global warming trend. We've been urged to stave off some sort of humanity-crafted murder of God's creation, which I don't even know if we as humans are able to even achieve that. <laughs> but there was predictions for multiple decades that were supposed to you know, result in famine back in the 1970s, 1975 to be exact. The dire prognosis of possible water and food rationing in the 1980s. And then that ice age that never occurred. In fact, the United Nations predictions, the politicians, all of the alarmists out there have been crying wolf over this phenomenon without a single benchmark ever being met. And the real danger to our humanity and Earth itself is always seems to be the scourge called capitalism. Isn't that always the case? Always, it's always dirty old capitalism that's causing all this. The deconstruction of Western democratized society is always the answer, according to them, in combating their invisible, unproven enemy. So with a batting average of about zero to a thousand, one would assume that the implosion of the credibility of the expert class, the smart set elite, would relegate these zealots to the fringe corners of Conspiracy Island. But yet, alas, they seem to persist. They seem to be gaining tremendous ground in the hearts and minds of many throughout all sectors of society and culture. I mean, take a look at what's happening in the Netherlands right now. Some 40,000 farmers gathered last week in central Netherlands agricultural heartland to protest the government's plan to slash emissions of damaging pollutants. Farmers protested around the Netherlands as lawmakers voted on proposals to slash emissions of damaging pollutants, a plan that will likely force farmers to cut their livestock herds and stop work altogether. In fact, these guys were out there with modified tractors that were in the form of tanks. They put armor around the front. They were pushing the government vehicles. They were taking manure and spraying down the government buildings. It was unbelievable. It was actually quite, quite the sight. And kudos to them for standing up. And you know what? They're doing that in the UK, too. They've got a blockade of tractors shutting down roadways. But So there's an individual who actually lives in, uh, in the Netherlands and kind of breaks down everything that's going on. This is what they posted. 
The EU and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, promote Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, a.k.a. Agenda 2030. Part of the SDGs is the reduction of agricultural impact on climate change by means of nitrogen dioxide, NO2, restrictions. The Dutch government signs contracts promising to execute this agenda and proceeds implementing new laws restricting NO2 emissions from farms. Dutch farms, however, barely produce any such gases. Even the Dutch government statistics indicate 90% of the measured NO2 comes from Germany. The NO2 is also a frail and unsustainable molecule that doesn't actually impact the, the local environment. But independent digital soldiers discover the Tri-State City Project in their efforts to find out why the Dutch government does this. The Tri-State City is scheduled to be the complete bulldozing and rebuilding of the entire Bendelo as one giant smart city akin to the 90s movie Judge Dredd. Tri-State City is supposed to become the capital of the global homogenized one-world government. This one-world government needs all that Dutch farmland to build the ghettos. NO2 law is just a tool being used to completely decimate the farmers. And he's got a point, and we'll get into that here in a minute, what this tri-state city is. It's really interesting when I ran across that. But So the uh, ruling coalition wants to cut emissions of pollutants, predominantly nitrogen dioxide um, and ammonia, by 50% nationwide by 2030. Ministers call the proposal a, quote, unavoidable transition that aims to improve air, land, and water quality. Unavoidable uh, transition. Who else has been talking about that transition? That painful transition to get us off fossil fuels. I don't know, John Kerry, Joe Biden, our president. The liberal world order is what they're talking about. What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Listen to Joe Biden talking about the liberal world order back in 2017 when Trump was already elected and inaugurated. Folks, this breaking down of the international and national norms is the glue that holds the liberal world order together and holds together our system, that is what is being attacked now. And that's what's most dangerous. Yeah, Brian Deese, he comes out and says it, trying to preserve the liberal world order. So they warn that farmers will have to adopt or face the prospect of shuttering their businesses. The honest message is that not all farmers can continue their businesses. And those who do will likely have to farm differently, the government said, in a statement this month, as it unveiled emission targets and reduction goals. Livestock produce ammonia in their urine and feces. The government in the past has called on farmers to use feed for their animals that contains less protein as a way of reducing ammonia emissions. Less protein? Don't you want your cattle to be fit and fat and ready to go? I mean, I, I don't get it. The government has published a map with the reduction targets across the country based on the proximity to areas designated as part of the EU's Natura 2000 network of vulnerable and endangered plant and animal habitats. There are about 27 
member states involved in this Natura 2000 covering 18% of the block's land area and 8% of the marine territory. But why are they really doing this? That was from the India Express, by the way. Um, let's look at the proposed new sustainable smart community known as the Tri-State City Network. Now, it's dubbed as the sustainable network model for 100 small and medium-sized cities in the low countries. An organic growth green network metropole where urban and rural space are and remain in balance. So uh, this one in individual at M. Catron noted, said, Note that the globalists have been planning to turn the Netherlands into one gigantic megacity for years now called the Tri-State City. It is meant to become the playground for multinational corporations. Of course, those pesky farmers can't be part of the picture. And what's crazy is they even showed that there's royalty in the tri-state city. They've got like a group of people that are shared royalty or something. I don't know. But they're ba this is the reason. So what they want to do is they want to take the farmland away by running these people out of business using legislation for standards that no one can meet. And then they'll adopt the land and then they'll get to make their smart city. That's what they're doing with ESGs, environmental, social, and governance scores. These are credit lending scores, similar to having a credit score. So if you spend too much money on your credit cards, well, or you go too many late, late payments, um, your credit score goes down, and then next thing you know, you can't get lending as easily. Well, they're doing this for environmentalism, for social justice, and for governance. So say you want to have an oil company. Well, you're going to get hit because of the resources that you need that are detrimental to the uh, environment. And then on top of that, you better hope that your CEO board is, uh, your, you know, your boardroom's filled with, you know, Latinos or Latinx, uh, maybe some trans in there, maybe, you know, African-American, got to get some, well, they don't care about Asians, but, you know, they, they want a diverse cabinet for your boardroom and then governance. Well, you, you better, you know, support the right candidates, the right party, and then we'll give you lending. You can get capital. Now that's partly to blame for the gas prices, which is the painful transition we're going through because it's not only Joe Biden shut shutting down supply and allowing drilling to stop forcing drilling to stop forcing fracking to stop. It's because these companies also are getting hit and being penalized because they can't access capital from BlackRock and Blackstone and State Street, these investment firms who are going to decide who gets capital based upon whether or not you're doing good for the environment. So we've talked about this in the past on here, but this is how they're also doing this in the Netherlands. So a group of institutional investors in the Netherlands have joined forces to present the Netherlands plus parts of Belgium and Germany as a single city network named Tri-State City. The project, backed by Dutch employers uh, organization VNO-NCW, says the region's population of 30 million people creates a sustainable urban powerhouse. The project supporters include property developers and pension funds, as well as UTEC's economic board. Now, huh, I wonder who those pension funds and investors are. Would they be BlackRock too? We ought to look into that. Dutch cities, the organization says, 
are too small to compete in what it calls the, quote, battle of the cities, in which the megacities compete for investment and talent. By treating the Netherlands as part of an urbanized delta with 17 million inhabitants, the project supporters say they are creating a very strong player in this, quote, battle of the titans. Quote, our city marketing is too fragmented and inefficient, the project's website says. In practice, the Dutch cities comp uh, compete with each other. Abroad, Amsterdam, Metropole, Brainport, Eindhoven, Tweedestan, Eidfood Valley, Reggio Gregorian, Assen, and Derry Delta are just some of the names of the Dutch regions uh, use when marketing themselves abroad. The Netherlands must present itself as one of the most powerful and sustainable city networks in the world, its project backers say. Now, here's the real kicker here. Listen to this statement. Quote, it is about how Dutch companies present themselves to companies such as Apple or big Chinese firms. Proloxus Benelak, director of Brand Vernehoven, told the uh, uh, Dutch, I think it's the Dutch Weekly is where I got this from. Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Utec, The Hague, all are a part of another project known as Holland Metropole, in which the big four cities present themselves as a single urban area with four centers, each with their own specialty. Now, they talked about this at the World Economic Forum. Let's listen to a little bit of that. So the role of businesses in the active food sector should be stimulated and able to create scalable uh, solutions. And here... I'd like to highlight a, a World Economic Forum initiative in this regard, the World Economic uh, Forum Food uh, Innovation Hubs. And these hubs in Africa, in Asia, in South America and in Europe uh, will allow uh, businesses to connect regional stakeholders to skill innovations, because this is key, a skill innovations that can address food systems, challenge, food systems challenges. And here... Uh, I'm particularly proud to announce that the Netherlands will host the Global Coordinating Secretariat of the World Economic Forum Food Innovation Hubs, which will connect all other food innovation hubs. And I believe this is important because it will be facilitating to create uh, the partnerships we need. So different world food economic hubs is what they're going to do. Unbelievable. So um, just as they force lockdowns on governments uh, implemented to combat a pandemic that was from a human modified respiratory virus, you know what I'm talking about? Leaked from a lab in China, just as that was hijacked to reshape the economies of the world. So is this manufacturing of food shortages. Uh, there's gas shortages in Sri Lanka calling, causing that nation to collapse completely with riots going on in the streets. Um, people are, are out of food. I mean, the food prices are doubled. All of these things are due to the green initiatives. And so they're going to manufacture these food shortages and do so under the guise of desiring to build a green community that they control. Everything they require of you in all of their green policies uh, cause you to alter, adjust, and, and change your lifestyle for the demand uh, of, of being green, carbon neutral, climate change compliant. All of these measures always leaves you in a third world living situation, doesn't it? 
And so now they have this stupid article like this one. So now we have to wear our clothes longer until we wear them completely out because of climate change from Bloomberg. A small, simple, and cheap way to prevent future climate pollution is to wear the clothes you already have in your closet roughly twice as many times as you might have otherwise worn it before tossing them. People doing so could reduce the related emissions impact of clothing about 44%, according to a 2017 report from the charity Ellen MacArthur Foundation and later echoed by the United Nations Environmental Program. Here's why. Wearing stuff you already own likely means that you'll buy less in the future, thus preventing the greenhouse gas emissions generated during the production of new items. They demand we ride... I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they demand we ride high-speed rail trains to get around because, you know, we shouldn't travel by driving on vehicles that use fossil fuels while they fly over to Davos. In fact, John Kerry, during the pandemic, flew to Tokyo, I think either Tokyo or some part of Japan, and then did a Zoom meeting. He could have done that from his office. But no, we have to get on the the high-speed rail that goes nowhere near my house that somehow I got to get to. I'll just use the the metro tra- transit. You know, I'll just use, yeah, use public transit. Get on the bus with that guy who's talking to his hand, throwing up all over the bus, and the guy who's going to basically rob the lady next to me. Let me take that bus, the one that stops every 10 feet. Takes me three hours to get to work if I go by bus. Yeah, great idea. Great idea. But, you know, we have to take the electric vehicles. We have to push those to the forefront and put and pay five dollars for gas because you should be in a fifty thousand dollar EV vehicle that, you know, if you want to take a cross country trip, better add 45 minutes every time you need to charge that battery. That's going to extend your drive time considerably when you oh, you could have just pulled into a little stop and go, you know, into a Wawa or a. Uh, flying J Travel Plaza for two and a half minutes of refueling, you're back out on the road. But no, we have to take these measures. We got to eat bugs, right, for protein, because, you know, we got to eliminate those climate-killing cow flatulence, right? Bill Gates from the Washington Times, he says, it's called Let Them Eat Bugs. Here's Nicole Kidman talking about eating bugs. I'm Nicole Kidman. I'm Nicole Kidman, and I am going to eat a four-course meal of bugs. I am here to reveal my hidden talent, eating micro-livestock. Cornworms, they're still alive. Mmm, extraordinary. Mmm, very moist, chewy. Can't quite describe the flavor, but... Need a little water. (laughs) Let's try the second glass, shall we? Just a little side note. Two billion people in the world eat bugs, and I'm one of them. Because here we go. Have some mealworms. I'm telling you, I'd win Survivor. That is a um, fruity taste. I'd recommend it. Here we have. Oh, oh, crickets. Oh, nothing. Oh, oh, awesome. Like nothing you've ever tasted. Like a hairy nut. <laughs> Don't. Oh, my gosh. A nut from the shell. 
And now for dessert, mm, the fried grasshopper. These are amazing. These are exquisite grasshoppers. I recommend them to anyone. Thank you for spending so much time with me and watching me eat bugs. Till next time. How about Angelina Jolie? She likes bugs too, apparently. Apparently that's a good delicacy for her. I'll move up to tarantulas. <laughs> Go ahead. How do you flip a scorpion? Good? Is that good, guys? Dinner. You want to go? You want to share a spider? Hot? It's actually really good, the flavor. Okay. Mm, it's nice. I can see why you're into this. It's hard to chew. Yeah. Scorpion. Dried chips. Like chips, yeah. yeah. Some yeah, chips like and some chips. Chips. yeah. <laughs> many surprises. And then you've got, I think this is Craig Ferguson. Uh, maybe I don't remember some late night talk show guy. He decided to have these people on the late show so that they can eat bugs. These are uh, grasshopper kebabs, okay. teriyaki marinated, quite delicious. I heartily encourage that you try one. Okay, Anna, do you want to try it? You want to try one? I want to try one. You try. You know, I wouldn't serve it if it wasn't good. That's my motto. So, you know, also right here, if you have kids, you're always serving them ants on a log. Right. With raisins. Uh-huh. Come on, really. These are ants on the log with ants. So these are actual ants. These are black ants from China. And you know, in China, they say that ants are medicinal. They sell them as medicine. And if you eat them, it slows the aging process and increases sexual vigor. Ooh. It increases sexual vigor. You're going to pass. I never force food on anyone. And it's amazing how they justify this because they've been pushing articles. We did a whole show about this a few months back where we went through all these articles of how it's better to eat bugs and we better get used to eating crickets and mealworms and all this crap. Well, the UN has a journal, an article that explains the benefits of world hunger. Ending hunger globally could be a disaster. I mean, who would clean our toilets, right? This is from the Climate Depot. The UN has touts the benefits of world hunger. Hunger has a great positive value. Hungry people are the most productive people. The UN deletes the essay after people were screaming about it. But it's amazing. Uh, the UN Chronicle, which bills itself as a magazine of the United Nations since 1946, originally published this essay in 2008 by Professor George Kent of University of Hawaii. Quote, hunger has great positive value to many people. 
Indeed, it is fundamental to the working of the world's economy. Hungry people are the most productive people, especially when there is a need for manual labor. How many of us would sell our services if it were not for the threat of hunger? More importantly, how many of us would sell our services so cheaply if it were not for the threat of hunger? For those of us at the high end of the social ladder, ending hunger globally would be a disaster. If there were no hunger in the world, who would plow the fields? Who would harvest our vegetables? Who would work in our rendering plants? Who would clean our toilets? We would have to produce our own food and clean our own toilets. No wonder people at the high end are not rushing to solve hunger for problems to you know, solve society's ills. For many of us, hunger is not the problem, but an asset. <laughs> that's from the UN. These people are megalomaniacs. And, and that's the deal. They see themselves as elite and should have people like in Sri Lanka cleaning their toilets. While in Sri Lanka, they have, or in, in Shanghai, they had no food because of Chinese lockdowns for a COVID variant that wasn't doing anything. I don't even think it was going rampant over there. They just locked every day, everybody down for the hell of it. Everything you're seeing in the world, Sri Lanka, Shanghai, what you're seeing in the Netherlands, what you're seeing in Poland, Polish are fighting back. Not only that, in Italy, they're, they're calling for their leader to be ousted. Everything you see across the globe, $5 a gallon gas, inflation, every bit of it is because of green policies implemented across the world at the urging of the World Economic Forum. It's really unbelievable, especially when you see this article. Because the most incredible part of all this, none of it had to happen. It's all manufactured on a lie, a green lie. And interestingly, interestingly enough, we learn that the temperatures on Earth haven't risen in 15 freaking years. Yet here we are, redesigning the globe's energy policies, its economies, even its food resources, just because of a supposed threat to humanity. This is from the UK Daily Mail back in 2013. Scientists working on the most authoritative study on climate change were urged to cover up the fact that the world's temperature hasn't risen for over the last 15 years. A leaked copy of the United Nations report compiled by hundreds of scientists, shows politicians in Belgium, Germany, Hungary, and the United States raise concerns about the final draft. Published next week, it's expected to address the fact that 1998 was the hottest year on record, and world temperatures have not exceeded it, which scientists have struggled so far to explain. The report is the result of six years of work by the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Remember those emails when they came out? So somebody hacked into the ICCP, their web servers, and got their emails. And they leaked them. I think it was back in 2007, 2008, maybe. Somewhere, maybe 09. This was around the time that the green energy push was really high. I mean, NBC had the green peacock logo. And when the emails came out, come to find out, they were fudging the data models. They were changing the models. They do that little trick that you did that caused the data to do this, you know, and all these little things we found out. They were BSing us with these models. This is that Michael Mann hockey stick graph that showed out of the blue. Boom! Suddenly, emissions went up around the time of the 60s. All of it was BS. 
And they kind of backpedaled. They took away the green peacock. They stopped giving us commercials every five seconds about climate change. And they kind of backpedaled and retreated for a little bit. But that didn't go too far. I thought that would have killed it. I really thought we finally put a knife in it. And then all of a sudden, here we are again. Now we've implemented it in governments worldwide by corporations who want to reimagine the world at the World Economic Forum. They want to redesign how we do business globally. And it's all predicated on BS. Nothing has changed in the last 15 years. In fact, let's go for the last 50 years. Let's go through some articles here. These are some headlines going through the climate change hysteria years. This is 1969. Everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 1989. Hmm, still here. 1970, Ice Age by 2000. Nope. 1970, America subject to water rationing. And 1974, food rationing by 1980. Nope. 1971, new Ice Age coming. 1972, new Ice Age by 2070. 74, new Ice Age coming fast. 1974, again, another Ice Age. 1974, ozone depletion. A great peril to life. 1976, the cooling. This was the, I remember the, the cool, the, this is the global cooling. 1978, no end in sight to 30 year cooling trend. But according to NASA's satellite data, there's a slight warming trend since 1979. I like this one. 1980, acid rain kills life in lakes. But 10 years later, the U.S. government formed a study. Acid rain concluded. Acid rain, no environmental crisis. Study concludes. Yeah, because everybody's cars were still here. We were told acid rain was going to dissolve your freaking car back in. I remember that back in the 80s. 1988, Washington, D.C. Days over 90 degrees to from 35 to 85. But the number of hot days in the D.C. area peaked in 1911 and have been declining ever since. 1988, the Maldives, completely underwater in 30 years. Nope, still still dry. 1989, rising seas to obliterate nations by 2000. 1989, New York City's West Side Highway underwater by 2019. I love this one, my favorite. 2000, children won't know what snow is. There's a ton more listed. I've got the piece up on an article that I posted that basically is the uh, impetus for this uh, podcast. So go read it because they actually have the newspaper clippings in the actual clippings. So you can read all of these things. There's a ton of them. None of these predictions have come true. Much like the COVID-19 hysteria, they pushed to slide other agenda items through the mail-in voting drop box of the front door of the Western democracies across the globe, even though we're actually a constitutional representative republic. They have been exploiting climate change to scare the crap out of you and to scare your children and indoctrinating them into embracing Marxism. So, you know, in the end, the elites of the World Economic Forum want to build a United Nations of Davos where you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, as is on their website. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. Tune in. Get us on the Roku channel. You can donate. Be a part of supporting the Adrian Slade Show. Adrian's, well, anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. Call to be on the show. 1-929-GO-GO-USA. 1-929-GO-GO-USA. 